You are listening to the Citizens Church Podcast. Citizens Church exists to saturate Bryan College Station, Texas with the good news and love of Jesus. To learn more about Citizens Church, visit us online at citizensbcs.com. Today's message is from Meredith Perryman. Thanks, guys. You know, it is really an honor just to be here and to um, speak with you. And just thanks, Ben, for the opportunity. And when he um, asked me to speak, I'm sorry, I'm trying to fix something on my Zoom. It's not working. Hang on just a minute. Okay. When he asked me to speak, I really knew right away what I wanted to talk about because it is something that I feel very, very passionate about. I prayed and asked for confirmation, but um, it's just something that God has taught me and works through me um, through a lot of hardship and a lot of personal testimony that I won't be sharing tonight because of time. So I'm kind of just sharing with you the end product of about three to four year season of wrestling with the Lord that I can say was absolutely everything worth everything on the other side. So before we start, let's just, I'm just going to pray. I'm just going to say, Father God, Lord, this time is absolutely for you. Father, may my words just be a pleasant aroma to you of worship. Father, I have nothing on my own to say, and I just ask that you would come and speak through me in your son's name. Amen. Okay, so I've titled this message, The Full Gospel, and what I want you to consider as I go through this is really whether the gospel that you understand and that you order your life around is indeed the full gospel or really just a partial version of it. Now, I grew up in a church, and although I did have a time where I walked away from the Lord, I never doubted that I understood the entirety of the gospel. But actually, up until a few years ago, if someone would have asked me, Meredith, what is the gospel? Well, this is how I would have answered them. I would have said, okay, in the beginning, God created Adam and Eve, and they put them, and he put them in the Garden of Eden and gave them one commandment to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But Satan, as a serpent, crept in and tempted Adam and Eve, and Eve reached out She ate the fruit and gave it to Adam. And then since that day, sin and death entered the world. And now we're all born sinners, separated from God and living in a cursed world. But those problems were taken care of and our sins paid for by Christ Jesus. And when we believe in him, we are given new life. And so then while we remain on earth, our job is to tell others about Jesus and for all of us who believe in him to separate from the world and then to wait for the day when we will all go to heaven. So just to kind of break it down, the gospel looked like this for me. And I'm going to try to hold this up to the screen if you can see it here. Uh, there, is that better? The partial gospel. If you can't see it, Ben's going to send it out to you. So, okay, the gospel was fall and redemption, and it answered the question, what went wrong? That's the problem. Well, we had the fall, and as a result, we're born sinners. Well, how do we fix that? What's the solution? Well, it's redemption, that we have eternal life through Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that that's wrong, and I'm not really trying to minimize the importance of the truth in that version. However, that is not a full understanding of the gospel. 
But based on my partial understanding of it, a partial scope of God's plan, here was my mindset. This is kind of how I operated in life. My goal and my passion was to teach the word of God so that believers could then live in the world, but not of the world. And I wanted to bring as many as I could to Christ so that they would spend eternity with him. So without even realizing it, the summation of the gospel for me became a formula for getting into heaven. And all of my hope was put into the truth that one day I would die and I would finally escape all the sin and the depravity in this world along with its consequences. Now, when times get tough, because they always do, when they got tough, I would console myself and I would just think to myself and say over and over again, God is sovereign. Life is hard. But one day Jesus will return and set all things right, or I will die and go live with him until he does. Now, that was all that I knew how to do. And I felt absolutely powerless to change anything around me. Things were going to continue to get worse as sin and depravity increased. But all I could really do was try to make as many converts as possible and just wait until Jesus returned to set things right. Now, growing up, that's all I was taught. And today, it's still all that so many are taught. What I have learned is that it's really not the whole story of the gospel. Because you see, the whole story of the gospel starts at creation in Genesis 1, not with the fall in Genesis 3. The gospel is not just fall, then redemption. It's actually creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. So where did I come from? What's my purpose? Well, I was made in God's image at creation. What went wrong? What's the problem? Well, the fall and sin entered the world. How do we fix it? Redemption, life through Jesus. But now what is my renewed purpose? It's restoration to renew all things. And I want to impact that a little bit. And again, the chart, Ben's going to send it out later. So in the partial gospel, gospel, When your story starts with sin, all it does is it points to the problem of people, but it really leaves out our purpose. And so as a result, people never fully understand the value they carry as image bearers or really their purpose in the kingdom of God. Because the gospel story does not start with sin, it does not start with the problem, but it starts with the calling from God. So what I want to do actually is go back to the very beginning, and I just want to unpack the whole story of the gospel. And it starts with what we know about God even before the creation of the world, that we know that he is one God who eternally exists as three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, God did not decide to create because he had a need for something, or he had a need for someone to love. God was not lonely. In fact, he really already lived in perfect love and community with himself. So instead, he created because what he was experiencing was so perfect that he wanted to share it. He created out of the overflow of the completeness in himself because the truth is God is intensely and fundamentally relational. Now, knowing this helps us understand God's motivation for creating was love. It was not power. So he created the heavens and the earth. 
and he made a garden, a garden which was perfect. And he placed Adam and Eve in the garden. And Adam and Eve, we know, were unique because they were made in the very image of God. And because they were image bearers, they were to rule over the earth. And they were to represent God to the rest of creation. They were really just to demonstrate to others who God was, his character. They were made to be co-laborers, working with God to demonstrate his goodness over all that he made and to create culture with him at the center. And their ruling, again, was to be out of love and not out of power. They weren't to rule instead of God. They weren't to rule in place of God, but they were to rule because of God out of the overflow of their personal and intimate relationship with him, just out of being in his presence. Now, the very first task as image-bearing co-laborers was given to them in the garden when God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So the immediate responsibility of Adam and Eve was to tend to the garden that God placed them in. But their ultimate responsibility was to bring the same order that was found in the garden to the rest of the planet. Because we know from scripture that the garden did not take up the entire planet, but it was a specific piece of land on the earth. And so remembering this helps us understand their ultimate responsibility because outside of the garden, the same order that was within it did not exist. And that makes a lot of sense when we remember that the serpent actually came into the garden from outside of it to tempt them. And we know who the serpent was. We know it was Satan. And we also know from Isaiah, from Luke, from Revelation, that Satan was already on the planet at that time because he had been cast down with a third of the other angels. And it was their presence on the earth that brought darkness and disorder and it tarnished God's creation. Their presence is what created the battle between light and darkness and order and chaos. Now, it's important to note there's really never, ever been a time when Satan was a threat to God because God is ultimate in power, might, beauty, and glory. And God has always existed. Not so for Satan. Satan is a created being, originally an angel who was made by God, who was given his gifts and abilities. So there's never been a battle between God and Satan. In fact, we know that the entire realm of darkness could have been wiped out with the word. But here's the thing. God chose to defeat Satan through those that he made in his own likeness, through those who would worship him by choice. So although the garden itself demonstrated heaven on earth, there was this darkness outside of it. So if we go back to the original commission, the word subdue is actually a military term that means to conquer. And the word to keep means to guard and to protect. So God wanted Adam and Eve and their descendants out of their relationship to them to just continue to expand the borders of the garden, conquering the darkness until it covered the whole planet and then placing it under um, the influence of God's perfect rule through his chosen ones. And so how were they to conquer the darkness? By creating a culture that was centered on God through the authority and dominion given to them by their creator. 
But what's interesting is what we don't see. God didn't give Adam and Eve any instructions on spiritual warfare. He didn't tell them how to go out and defeat Satan and his demons because he didn't need to. Adam and Eve had God's authority, so there was no contest. Instead, again, their entire life was to be focused on maintaining order through their relationship with God and through spreading it, through representing God well. They were to live responsibly. They were to be productive, have children who would have children, who would have children, who would expand the borders of the garden until the planet was covered by their rule. They were to create a culture, again, with God at the center. And then everything that was then created, art, economics, business, families, would all be designed to honor the one in the center and then bless the people on the edge. Now, that was our fundamental call as human beings. That is what God called us to do in the world as image bearers, to worship the right thing, to till and to make, to have a collective heart that brings flourishing and prosperity for people around it and all the spheres of the world in which we live. And again, all of this was to be done out of the flow of fellowship with God walking with him in the cool of the evening. All of this was to come out of relationship. Satan was never the focus. He didn't need to be because at that time, he didn't have any authority. At that time, there was no agreement with the devil. But Satan knew he didn't have the power to defeat God. So instead, he came after that which was most like God and that which mattered most to God. But having no authority over Adam and Eve, all he could do is talk. So just like he does today, he planted doubts of God's goodness in their minds and suggested that they eat the forbidden fruit to make them like God because God was holding out on them. The devil wanted them to agree with him in direct opposition because that is the only thing that would empower him. And we know that Adam and Eve listened to him and through their agreement, Satan was then enabled to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And as a result, their assignment to, re um, to rule and to create culture was perverted. They no longer had the authority or the dominion that they had been given by God. They turned it over to Satan. And as such, we know that scripture says um, he is called the prince of the power of the air and the God, little g, of this age and the ruler of this world. And through their act of rebellion, they actually became Satan, the father of rebellion's possession. And Satan was given all that Adam owned, including the dominion over the planet. And Adam and Eve's position of rule became part of the devil's spoil. So after Adam and Eve sinned, defeating the devil became humanly impossible. Now, for this reason, for that reason, it was necessary for Jesus not only to die in our place, but also to live life as a man with our same restrictions, our same limitations, temptations, feelings, everything, so that his victorious life was also as a man. So God became flesh and he came to earth to reclaim all that was lost. He came to take upon himself humanity's penalty for sin, our penalty for Adam and Eve eating from the fruit, but that's not all. He also came to take back the authority that Adam had given away. And this is the part of the gospel that I never understood before in which 
has changed everything for me in my life. Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. Well, people were lost because of sin, but so also was their rule over creation, their dominion. And Jesus came to recapture both. He lived a sinless life and a life of power through the Holy Spirit, perfectly demonstrating and modeling God's original plan for man to bring the rule of heaven into the darkness. And then he died and he was resurrected with power and death couldn't hold him because he was sinless. And with his resurrection, scripture tells us he won back the keys to the earth. He won back the authority that God had given Adam and Eve that they lost to Satan when they sinned. And then Jesus told his disciples that all authority and power on heaven and earth had been given to him and that they were to go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. And these disciples, by the very meaning of the word Tamadim, they were meant to carry on every single thing Jesus did because true disciples in the Jewish world seek to do everything exactly the way their rabbi does it. So we see that God's heart has not changed at all regarding his assignment. He's not just saving us to escape the world one day. It is still God's dream for those who are made in his image, who worship him by choice to carry his presence into the earth. But he doesn't leave us to do it in our own strength because we know after the resurrection, Jesus told his disciples, go and wait. And he promised them in Acts, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And can you even imagine that day of Pentecost and Acts 2? Because everything changed through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The very presence of God through the person of the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church and took up residence in the lives of each believer. The very spirit that empowered Jesus to bring a redemptive solution to every single encounter that he had now dwelled inside them. The Spirit was the Father's promise, and it reintroduced them to the original purpose for humanity as image bearers suited to carry the fullness of God on earth. And with it came permanent power available to accomplish the task that before them. So this noise comes from heaven, right? It's a violent wind and a roar, a violent exhalation brought forth something from its place of origin, from heaven to earth. And that transformed the atmosphere over the entire city of Jerusalem. There was a literal release of something from heaven into the world. And at that moment, Two worlds collided and the inferior realm of darkness gave way to the superior nature of God's kingdom. This is like what happened at Jesus' baptism when the heavens opened and the dove descended. But this time it came upon Jesus' followers and no longer did the anointing and the open heavens only exist over one man, but now to all who would confess that Jesus is Lord. So Adam gave up the authority, but Jesus, the second Adam, he won it back for us, for those who believe. And it was in my understanding of this 
that Jesus, who had been my savior for all of my life, he became so much more because then all of a sudden he became my example. He became my model. He became my rabbi. I'm to see what Jesus did and I am to do the same because Jesus did not come to earth just to live a sinless life and die so that one day I could go to heaven. Jesus, while he was 100% God, he chose to live with the same limitations that you and I face once we're redeemed. And he became the model for all who would embrace the invitation to invade the impossible in his name. He performed miracles, signs, and wonders as a man in right relationship with God, not as God, because he could perform miracles as God, then they would be unattainable for us. But if he did them as a man through the power of the Holy Spirit that is given to us, we are responsible to follow his example. And everything changes when we grasp this truth. This truth, now hear this, this is amazing. This truth makes a full restoration of the ministry of Jesus possible. In fact, Jesus said, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Our hope today is not just that one day we'll die and escape the curse of this world. No, it is Christ in us the hope of glory. And our job assignment is not just to convert only others who wait to die. We, like Jesus, are to bring a redemptive solution to every encounter we face through his name. We are not powerless victims of the world we live in and of our enemy Satan. But if we only know half of the gospel, then we will power and fear and we'll make it through the best we can until we get to the other side. God didn't just save us so we could live with him one day. He saved us and then he indwelled us and he is living in us right now. And through his presence in us, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are given power. The same power that God raised from the raised God from the dead. And we are a host of God himself. There is no greater privilege And there is no greater responsibility. But y'all look around. Today, many of us have gotten used to doing without the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit working in our lives and churches. Perhaps at some time in our lives, we've been ridiculed or dismissed those who have sought to embrace all that Jesus died and rose for. Maybe we've been told that miracles have ceased. That our only hope is escaping this cursed world. There are so many who out of fear have dumbed down the Holy Spirit and stripped him of his power. Can you imagine God's grieving heart over this? Why has this been done? Maybe we haven't understood the full story of the gospel, or maybe it has to do with familiarity. Because the truth is familiarity is a dangerous sin. Familiarity causes us to stop being amazed by God and familiarity breeds laziness. And I think there are a lot of lazy Christians out there, if I could just say that. Maybe we're afraid to take risks. Maybe we're afraid of how we'll be perceived or maybe we want to protect God's reputation so we don't step out in faith. Or maybe it's just unbelief. We see in the Gospels that there is a faith that can activate the miracles of God but we also see that there is an unbelief by the people of God who can st- that can stop miracles from happening. 
Both the faith and the unbelief in the book of Luke caused Jesus to marvel. It's the same word, to be astonished. And I don't know about you, at the end of each day, I would much prefer for Jesus to marvel at my faith rather than my unbelief. I'd much rather him marvel at my stepping out and taking risks, even if, it, you know, taking risks. So I wholly, wholly believe that he is up there and he is longing to do so much more. It even says so much more than we can think or even imagine if we would only believe, if we would believe that he is who he says he is, that he can do what he says he can do. And so as the people of God, are we tying the hands of God because of our unbelief? Is it our unbelief that is stopping a move of God that we could see in our lifetime? Are there too many unbelieving believers dare to wonder what would God do if he had enough believing believers? Revival is a desire that is on so many of our hearts right now. And as we pray, God, send revival. Is he saying, I did. It's you. I put my spirit in you and out of you will flow rivers of water. So my question is, what hinders you? What hinders you from living out all that Jesus died and rose for? Familiarity, fear, unbelief? God, let us be a people. Let us be a church body who no longer makes up for makes up excuses for powerlessness because powerlessness is inexcusable. Our mandate is simple. We are to be and to raise up a generation that openly displays the raw power of God. And that is done only when we embrace and live out the full picture of the gospel. So Ben's going to send some questions out. And I'd love for you to consider if someone were to ask you today to sum up the gospel, how would you explain it? And then spend some time thinking, why did God create? Why is humanity here in his creation? What does he want his image bearers to do? And then to consider, is there anything you feel charged to do by understanding the full story of the gospel? Thanks for joining us today for the message. We hope it was encouraging to you. To learn more about Citizens Church, including gathering times and locations, or to give financial support, please visit citizensbcs.com. And again, thanks for listening to the Citizens Church podcast.